Oscar Poker. Cardiac arrest, as I speak. No, are you Leonardo, really actually having one? Are, are we? Yes, the Leonardo DiCaprio thing. <laughs> yeah, that this is up awful. Up. This is fucking what? What? awful. I'm so out of the loop. I've been saving my poor cat from death. So what's going on? What happened to your cat, by the way? Oh, um, well, tell me about Leonardo. We'll get to my cat later. Okay. It's it's a very All sad right. story. Because I just had I, I just wrote about a dog issue yesterday, but we can. I know. I saw that. It was such a weird coincidence that you did the same day that I had paid three thousand dollars to get my cat out of. <gasps> oh my goodness! Really? Yes. For a, an operation? You mean? You're, yeah. You're, I thought you were oh, writing oh. that. Like, I mean, I didn't think you saw my Facebook or anything, but um, mm. I had written that I was hoping that he would come out of it okay. He had he swallowed a bunch of thread from a thread from a spool of thread yeah. and it had tangled up in his intestines and in his lower intestine and he was basically going to die. This was after like three days of throwing up and not eating and mm. I um, took him into the emergency room and they, they put him into surgery and it was like $3,000 <laughs> and now he's being he's in recovery. I had to move him to like a cheaper vet you know totally like down on on burbank boulevard near the like prescription marijuana shops and everything. Like, as they were and pointing out the yesterday in the thread uh, after i wrote about my friends having dropped mm. 10 10 grand i know on a poor dog that died yes uh, yesterday uh they told them they didn't guarantee them that you'll buy a year but you know it could be a year mm. and uh, let's hope and well they had the operation and a month later the poor guy uh Stop breathing. Mm, mm, mm. He had cancer. Um, well, I, I know. I, you know, it's a different thing if they're old and they're terminal. My cat is just a little over a year old, and um, uh, and I love the guy. I mean, this is his second, his second um, brush with death. When he was a kitten, he was almost dead on Mulholland um, Drive, and my sister found him and picked him up, and they rescued him and brought him back to life. And he's like my beloved creature. I love this little cat, and he follows me everywhere. You know. Um, but so I wasn't going to let him die, but it was price gouged cause it was Sunday and it was, it had to be emergency, um, procedure. There was nobody yeah. else that could take him. Nobody was open on Sunday. I did not want to pay, um, $3,000, <laughs> believe me. But, um, anyway, so I had to pay, as I was saying, when my poor cat Zach was dying of pancreatic cancer, I paid six or $700 for maintenance. Absolutely pointless i mean you know and the poor guy was was he wasn't eating he was down he was doomed i could i could tell and mm -hmm. and yet i because i felt badly i wanted to do something and they said that's what the bill is and we've been kind of looking at him and taking care of him and all that so what was i going to say so i mm -hmm. so i paid it but you know i got taken 
I get yeah. taken because they need a certain income level at these places. Well, the, the vet that I just took him to now, she said, you know, they should have offered you options. They didn't. They just said, you either, you know, he, we have to take $2,700 from you or else we can't operate on your yeah. on your pet. And he was already back there. I mean, mm-hmm. he was already drugged up and hooked up to IVs and stuff. And yeah. I'm supposed to take him out of that. But they should mm-hmm. have said, you know, I was sitting there like crying on the phone and everything, trying to talk to, you know, trying to apply for credit and all this stuff and and they should have said if you can't afford it you know here's a here's a name of a vet that can do it today for cheaper you know mm-hmm. that would have been mm-hmm. the responsible thing to do but they didn't right. do that so i was you know I'm, I'm happy it's over and i hope he lives through it he's got like a 70 percent chance to survive so we'll see mm-hmm. anyway so what about leonardo dicaprio well uh, i think can you still hear me or yeah why yeah Oh, sorry. I thought you cut out for a second. Because you had I think a heart that attack? The, uh, the, I thought that the idea of Clint Eastwood, uh, uh, obviously in the, on the autumn of his career, uh, so, um, so productive and so active, and he's going to do A Star is Born with Beyonce. And, um, you know, that is uh, an overdone uh, property in my view. I, I thought that uh, the last version, which was, I believe that was Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand, right? Or am I wrong about that? That's the last person. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And then prior to that, there was James Mason and Judy Garland in 1954. And and then prior to that, there was uh, Janet Gaynor and and, um, Frederick March. Yes, Frederick March. I just don't find it moving. I think it's, uh, I don't think it's... uh, Wait, are you saying that who's going to be... He wants Leonardo DiCaprio to be James Mason, to be Chris Christopherson, to play the Frederick March But role. he's such a young guy. Why would they want that? It's crazy. Yeah, she's, they're not they're th- that different in age, and the idea is that this is a guy who's, uh, uh, who's somewhat older and, and, and a big star, and he's on the way down, and she's on the way up, and it's supposed to be this, you know, uh, you know, touching crossroads. Uh, he's ter- uh, it's terrible casting. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. <laughs> it's terrible. I think, if, if you don't mind me saying, I think it's a terrible idea, uh, for Leo to have played uh, J. Edgar Hoover, but that's all done, and that's going to come out later this year. But I, I wouldn't believe and can't imagine believing him as J. Edgar Hoover ever. I mean, there's not a mm. chance that I could believe that. I think I could see him doing that a lot more than I can see him playing a has-been. I mean, he's so... God, almost any other actor, like one generation up from him, could do it mm. and be great at it. Al Pacino would be my number one choice. You know? Too old at this stage, don't you think? Mm-mm. No, I don't. You want well, somebody is, old. Well, no, you want someone older. I mean, if she's, Beyonce is what, about 32, 33 years? It's 30. just not believable that Leonardo DiCaprio would be, Cam, right now in his career, the way he looks, the way people think about him, play somebody yeah. who's down and out. There's just no way. Well, it's a, about somebody with a problem with alcohol or drugs or something. So. Still. Anyway. They prop him up and they put him in front of a camera if he looks that good. You know, it's just, <laughs> he has yeah. that much charisma. It's crazy. It's not going to work. I mean, unless they're doing it. Are they doing it for music? Is he supposed to be a washed-up singer or something? Oh, uh, I, I'm waiting with bated breath to hear the details, but it seems like a terrible idea. And I, I just, you know. Well, cause Chris- why is it that you're so, not to uh, harp on this, but why are you willing, why do you find it okay with the six-foot, almost six-one Leonardo DiCaprio playing 
um, J. Edgar Hoover, <laughs> known for his very small stature and kind of bulldog look. And he's about five, <laughs> six, five, seven. Why, why is that cool? What if, you know, like I said, what if uh, Pee Wee Herman were to play Abraham Lincoln? Well, you'd say that's ridiculous because Abraham Lincoln was tall and angular, you know, the, the, the rail splitter from Illinois. He had a certain look. You can't have a short guy, but you can have a tall guy playing a short guy. And a oh, my tall, God. Good-looking guy. If I let that stuff bother me, I swear to God, I would never watch any movie based on a real person. They never cast them the way they really look. You know, they're, they're uh, I always... would uh, beg to differ respectfully that they have done that. That used to be an absolute tradition. You would make every effort to have the actor resemble what people believed. For instance, it's being done right now with Daniel Day-Lewis playing Abraham Lincoln. There's no mm-hmm. problem whatsoever with, with tall, uh, you know, bony-faced Daniel mm-hmm. Day-Lewis playing Abraham Lincoln. I, I buy that in a second. Uh, there's any number of instances where you could, uh, you know, add Charlton Heston as Andrew Jackson in The Buccaneer back in 19. Well, I guess if you're talking about a political, you know, a, a historical figure, but what yeah. about what about um, um, Robert Redford playing, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Woodward. He didn't look at all like Woodward. Oh, no, they were pretty similar. They're oh, pretty he wishes. Similar. Woodward wishes. He didn't look like Robert. <laughs> Nobody looks like Robert Redford. They're, Nobody. Uh, they were somewhat similar. I mean, no. Uh, no. Woodward no. Is, is not ugly. He was an okay looking guy. Robert Redford walks into a room, women faint. Woodward right. walks into a room, women maybe go, oh, he's kind of cute, you know? <laughs> I mean, not anywhere okay. near Robert Redford. Come it on. It wasn't ludicrous. He, they were more or less the same size. They were sort of light hair. They were, you know, at the time, they were roughly the same age, so. Wow. It wasn't, it wasn't ludicrous. There's all, I could name really uh, about 100 examples if you give me a day to come up with people who have always, it's always been the person has to somewhat resemble, at least be acceptable, you know. If you're going to have someone play George Washington, we all know what he looks like. We all have dollar bills been looking at his all his life. You can't have uh, Ben Stiller, let's say, play George Washington because he's not the type, you know. Well, isn't Leo playing, I mean, I could be totally wrong, but aren't we talking about J. Edgar Hoover, younger J. Edgar Hoover, not older? Well, I've read the script. It goes into the, uh, it, it goes along. It's not, not just the 1930s. But it's also, the, I believe, the 60s, the Hoover years, uh, spying on Martin Luther King, uh, yeah. doing you know, tapes of him, intimidating him, that kind of thing. Besides, J. Edgar Hoover wasn't like a kid who hadn't grown up in the 1930s. You know what, he was, though? He was an adult. You know? Leo looks a I lot like... I saw a like... brief clip of it, for what it's worth. Oh, you did? Um, and what did you think? Yeah, Leo is uh, J. Edgar. Um, you saw a picture of him? No, a clip. A clip. Oh really? Where? Yeah, at this point, yeah, at this point, I can talk about it. Whatever. Right? It was at CinemaCon. So how? Um, what'd you think? I it was very brief, but I didn't buy it because I'm I'm on your side when it comes to this, Jeff. I don't think it's it's good casting at all. I mean, it sounds like you know m- more of a situation where you know Clint Eastwood just wanted to to work with Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm. This was his excuse to do it. it. It doesn't make sense from a physical. Uh-huh. You know, but he does. I mean, I'm looking at pictures of him right now, and, and as a young man, he has a lot of what Leo has. He, he, their faces are very similar. Leo could be, other than the height, which okay, I'll give you that. Uh-huh. But Leo's face, if you just do a Google image search, J. Edgar Hoover, and do images, and you'll look at him. He's got these weird wide apart eyes that like Leo has. I mean, uh-huh. they, they aren't totally dissimilar. He could be his grandfather easily, and you'd buy it. Um, uh-huh. But. I mean, they, they're going to have to fatten him up and put a lot of makeup on him. Do they do that, Phil? Do they, do they dress? Uh, in the clip I saw, no, it wasn't that extreme. I mean, I'm looking at some of the, the younger pictures of, of him, and that's, you know, what he looked like. It's not that far off, but I don't see how they're going to get him anywhere close to, 
the older looking version of J. Edgar Hoover. Mm. What we remember about him, yeah. It's too stout and, you know, pudgy. Mm-hmm. You'd have to put so much makeup on DiCaprio to get him even close to that, and then that, and even you wouldn't buy it because of his build, how tall he is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it just so doesn't you, fly. But he's the hundred million dollar kid. That's why. But you know, like I guess Philip Seymour Hoffman would have been a better choice. Poor Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's sure, like, he would have been great actually. <laughs> he's so, like so the so go-to Hoffman. guy for the <laughs> short, <Yeah>. pudgy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Phil, what about um, Transformers um, and what we're uh, expecting to see for the coming July 4th weekend, which begins, as far as Transformers is concerned, on Wednesday? What do you foresee? Yeah, that? it's it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I don't want to – we'll release our final prediction tomorrow, but this this they're doing the same thing that uh, Paramount did with Super 8, which is they're, they're sneaking it early. And that can have either a really good impact or a really bad impact. Um, based on these earlier reviews, I think it's going to be a pretty good. I think people are going to want to come back to it, as bad as as much as I hate to admit that. Um, I think the trailers were good, and, and um, so we'll see. I mean, it's it's going to be a huge number. I mean, right now, who knows? I mean, we're at um, we're saying 108 million for four days, so whatever that'll, you know, work out for for the six days. I mean, it's it's inter- you know it's interesting to see a movie that is going to open over you know such a prolonged period of time with that's going to use this kind of sneak preview technique that's kind of, you know, not been done before. So what is um, the four days would be Monday, you're saying? Four day would be technically. um, What's the actual, what's the fourth day? Monday, next Monday is the fourth. Yeah, the fourth is Monday. So, yeah, we we count four days as, you know, Friday to Monday. Right. Um, So it would have, you know, two weekdays. Well, two and a two and a half weekdays before that point. Right. Um, so yeah, it's you know, we'll we'll see what happens on Tuesday night. I mean, if people come out and they're tweeting about it and and the likes mm-hmm. go up on Facebook, then the gamble paid off. And because they have to win the audience back, there's definitely a lot of people who are turned off by the second one. It was incoherent, overly long, and, and just a mess. Um, and so we're presuming that people are against reading the reviews that are up now and the buzz because they don't want to read because that hurts their eyes and they just want to go on the gut and listen to their friends after their friends see it, right? The way they Yeah, a movie like this, things. Yeah. 100% critic proof. Right. I mean, yeah, the, the fanboys... No, but, the, you know, did you read yeah, Drew, Drew McQueenie's yeah. piece? Sure, yeah, I mean, and that will have an impact. Yeah. For sure, but it's not going to be earth-shattering. I mean, if anything, they'd be chunk of people read it maybe the fanboys who said well oh you know the second one sucked there's no way in hell i'm going for this you know mm-hmm. maybe that and say okay you know it's worth a shot but the mainstream public uh you know that's not going to be a blip um you know not to not to discredit drew i mean he's a great writer it's a it's well-written piece but you know it's just, it's just movies like this in the summer are, are critic proof i believe that 100 percent I just uh, from what I heard from Pete Hammond, who saw it, uh, and Drew now, and this, and you know, if you want to take the word of Shia LaBeouf, um, you know that that final hour sounds amazing. An hour-long action sequence. I mean, that sounds amazing. I, I feel yeah. like I want to really get to that. You know. Just, yeah, it doesn't sound like it's a complete disaster. Like I, I didn't like the other two, but I mean, that's you know, it's it's like comparing different forms of bacteria. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, so I, well, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's well, you know, I would see that's something that I would not say, uh, and I'm, uh, uh, I guess, 
uh, pretty well uh, invested in not liking, uh, uh, you know, CG action movies just to show off CG. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say bacteria at this point. I mean, he's a good filmmaker, and when he gets oh. good material, you don't think so, huh? No, God, no! I can't stand him. I'm I think sorry he really be... knows what he's doing when no. he. Um, he's Jim drops. Cameron light. He's Jim Cameron without a thinking brain. Sorry, Michael Bay. I mean, he wants to be Jim Cameron. He can sort of do action sequences along the same lines as Jim Cameron. He can do it. He can do it, but he just doesn't have the depth as a human being to tell a good story. His stories suck, and you can't watch a movie. Transformers, I walked out of it, and I, I hardly ever walk out of movies. I, I can count them on one hand how many I do. I usually sit through to the end, especially a cheesy movie like that. Like, I'm not a snob. I like a good f- popcorn movie. Are you movie. talking you walked out of the first one or the yeah, second one? Yeah, the first one. I will not even watch the second one because the first one was so bad. I got to tell you, I walked out of the first one too because I I was uh, I felt overwhelmed by it and I just was not feeling satisfied. I felt the same way. So. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible. It's a but terrible I'm, movie, I'm, and I will never make it waste. through the second one, Jeff. Then, if you didn't, if you I didn't want to go to the second one. I had yeah. such a, I had a rough time with the first one, but um, I I acknowledge this, and I and and I I don't dispute that he is not the deepest guy in the world. He doesn't have a developed. Um, you know, his soul is not as, uh, as, as, as deep as Jim Cameron's. He's not the uh, intellectually developed fellow that he could be. But um, he does have excellent instincts as a director who knows how to really deliver the rock rock'em, sock'em stuff. But that's it. It stops there. I mean, if he could tell a good story, he would have told Pearl, Pearl Harbor would have been a good movie, you know. And it was a terrible movie. Like, not even... That's the thing about him is he's so arrogant. If you read interviews with him, he doesn't even try to get better. He just thinks he's fine because his movies keep making money. And okay, fine. If you want to keep, you know, serving up shit and people want to keep buying it, I guess that's, you know, your choice. But wouldn't it be nice if he could just try a little bit harder to be a good writer? I mean, not a writer, but, you know, tell a better story. And yeah, That's all be I've nice. been saying, that if he wanted to be better... He could be really excellent okay, if he had the that, interest yeah. in going there. I absolutely so agree all. with you there. I think he, yeah. Uh, yeah, if he try, if he even tried, but he doesn't try because he seems to have disdain for his audience. He thinks they're stupid enough to to go for it, and they are, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't disagree with you, Jeff. About you know, he he is a very good visual director. I mean, he's got he knows how to stage an action scene. It sounds like this hour chunk is is great, but I mean. Don't make a movie that's two and a half hours. If, mm. if all it is is going to be brainless action and everything. I mean, come in at like 90 minutes, an hour and 40, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. be done with it. Why does it have to be two and a half hours? Right. I just don't get that. Same with the Pirates of the Car- Caribbean movies. Yeah. It's like torture. I mean, it is torture. Yeah. You're trapped in your seat. I was trapped during Cannes watching that movie. I could not get up yeah. and leave. It was so mm. awful. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um,. I, my only guess is that he uh, he composed the movie with the idea that he would have 90 minutes of what you would consider uh, regular um, mainstream movie exposition with a beginning and a middle, and and that he said, oh, I've got to end it with a huge movement. He's like a composer. He's like Ludwig van Beethoven. He says, I've got an hour finale, and I'm going to make that finale be the biggest, best thing I've ever done. So that's what it sounded like he did. He just he was committed to that long, long action finale, and so he had a 90-minute movie plus this sequence is what it seems to have been, hmm. something like that. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know, just guessing. Anyway, I'm going to wait and see it um, at a uh, IMAX 
screening tomorrow night. Uh, did, are you intending to see it in IMAX, Phil, when you go to see yeah. it? Yeah, I actually just got my tickets this afternoon. So, yeah, IMAX 3D, so I'll see it the way you know, it's supposed to be seen. So um, see. Tuesday night? Yeah, I'm going to go to tomorrow, yeah, with actual audience, yeah, and see does it open in the daytime Tuesday or Tuesday night? What's the... Oh, it's weird. I mean, I, I, I had a couple options. There was like an 845 show where there was a midnight. So I got the 845, which I think more yeah. people will be at. And, um, and I don't want to sit through it at midnight. I don't want to watch two and a half hours. Of this. So to your knowledge, it doesn't open. It doesn't play tomorrow in the daytime. It begins in the evening. It could in some markets, Jeff. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, maybe like New York, L.A. might have uh, you know, showings earlier in the day. But... For the most part, yeah, I think it'll be an afternoon or, or late night, you know, just to get the word out there. Um, I, there's a, they're showing it today on the Paramount lot at 4 p.m. and again at 8 p.m. But because I've finally been cleared to shoot video in the Tom Hanks scooter swarm brigade that I'm taking part in today, <laughs> I have to be down at the Pantages. Uh, by the time people hear this, I won't be giving anything away. It's only like a five-block ride that they're working out it's like everybody has to get there at six and sort of you know get in place and everything and then tom hanks is going to be the the leader in this kind of v wedge of of scooters driving down hollywood boulevard like marlon brando in the wild one and everybody's going to come rumbling down and they're going to have camera on it and i wanted to i just thought well as long as i'm going to be part of this and i was uh, approved oh i'm sorry i better <laughs> um i'm just gonna um <laughs> Tell the, I'll have to call them back. I'm sorry, I, 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 because I've been approved to be part of this, and I and I had to get personal approval from from uh, Mr. Hanks himself, and he um, he said that was cool, but uh, they said then they said you can't have someone in the back taking video, and uh, I said well what's wrong? And he said well because if you were to have an accident we would be uh, liable you, or you would have grounds for suing us and we really don't want that uh, to be even part of it so no video while you're on the on the bike so i said but but fellas i i'm not going to sue you i mean i'll see I'll, I'll sign any waiver you want i'm not going to you know first of all i'm not going to fall over i'm not going to get hurt no one's going to you know anyway all this stuff went on back and forth and i and i and, and i showed them the video that Jet took while sitting on the back of a scooter when we were driving through Paris, uh, through uh, through Rome, and uh, anyway, they finally said, "Okay, fine." Oh, okay. I can't wait! I can't wait, shot? Jeff! I'm so excited! I'm so excited! I'm thinking of you. I'm uh, going to uh, just no, uh, no one that I know has seen Larry Crown, uh, other than a guy who posted on HG and said that it was uh, he did he was uh, he had issues with it, but. See. Oh, that's not good. How? Why would they be keeping it for this long? A movie with Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts. That's yeah, why not show it a little bit to some people and kind of get the, get the word out? Um, got me. I don't know. Well, what do you think, you guys? What do you think is the reason? I think that when you're uh, worth uh, two hundred, three hundred million dollars, uh, I think that there's something about that's, that doesn't get. I think you're living in a membrane on some level, and perhaps that might be a factor. Uh, he's has has there ever been a more uh, congenial and well liked and and nice person than Tom Hanks in that in this in this industry? Uh, probably not, but I I have a feeling that um, it might be a little too mild mannered a movie for to, to qualify as a really strong piece. I don't know. I'm just guessing. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, well, I'm 
you know, my thinking is always that there's plenty of room for a movie like this to open and, and do well during the summer just because mm. adults who don't want to see Transformers That's right. and Dark yeah. sure. need something to see. So yeah. if, it, if it doesn't do well, it's a huge blown opportunity. There's and it, no two ways of, to look at it. Because you're addressing you're the biggest uh, movie stars. Yeah, 35-plus yeah. audience and, a, you know, an amiable. Uh, and it's about a guy with, uh, with, issue, with problems and hitting a huge pothole uh, in his 50s, which is that he's, he's whacked, he's fired. And, um, you know, so it's about building your life back up again. It doesn't sound too bad. I don't see how it can be. Well, I wasn't sure. It it looks a little disastrous, I'd say, but from the trailer. But, you know, bad trailer usually means good movie. Mm. They have the um, posters up everywhere. And look, there's a whole huge section of the population that never has any reason to go to the, the movie theater, like Phil's saying. I mean, think of all the women my age and above, for instance. What are they going to go see? So, I mean, that's a movie my mom would want to see, my daughter would want to see. You know, it's like... Why would your daughter want to see a story of a 51-year-old who has uh, <laughs> problems getting his life going again after getting fired from a clothing to clothing store or whatever he I don't does. know. I mean, it's just the, the posters and everything. It just looks like it's, it's a, you know, a fun experience. It doesn't look like it's oh. necessary. And I don't think that... that um, Tom Hanks really does have an age limit with the people he appeals to. I do think he still can appeal to younger um, audiences because he's so, he's still really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Julia Roberts is sort of losing her, um, what would you say, her power. I don't even think she really has box office clout anymore. Do you think so, Phil? I mean, maybe I'm uh, not. Not really. I mean, you know, Eat, Pray, Love was successful, but that's more because of, you know, it was a book. based on a popular book, you know, mm-hmm. it, um, Duplicity wasn't, you know, and, and that didn't have anything to go on. Um, right. So, yeah, her, her stock is, you know, depleted. She uh, can't really open it? the way she used to be able to. Certainly no. Jennifer Aniston has probably taken a lot of her her audience, you know. Same sort of mm-hmm. people would, would go and see a Jennifer. I'd rather see a Julia Roberts movie at this point than a Jennifer Aniston movie, though. Yeah. Because, <laughs> well, at least Julia Roberts is, like, she's so rich. She doesn't need the money, and she doesn't, she's not doing it for any reason except she's, trying to support a friend usually <laughs> or a project she likes, you know, and, you know, with each I, train I love, it was total, Oprah. And... T- totally down with her and Meryl Streep in Osage, August, August colon Osage County, which will uh, begin shooting later this month mm-hmm. and will be the movie that will kill in 2012, right? Yeah, 2012. It'll be out uh, in the fall of 2012. Yeah. And I can't imagine that not being absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, she's funny, though, Julia, because she's, she, a lot of times when she's given these really he- heavy, hard roles, she doesn't quite make it, you know? She's not, like, really that good of a very serious actress. Like, remember in um, Closer and Mary Riley and, and movies like that. So she's she's better at the lighthearted comedy stuff, but, you know... But I'm she's not to... good if she has to be... You know, kind of burning with with something inside. She doesn't have enough soul or passion. You're saying? Her- um, no, I don't know if she if she. Yeah, she's much more of a happiness and light person than she is. It's it's for one thing. This is this is a very Jeff Wells thing I'm about to say because most people would never think about it, but it's uh-huh. one of the reasons why you're so funny, Jeff, because you do focus on specific things like the way people look. But her face to me, and this is. I know it sounds really stupid as it's coming out of my mouth, but I can't help but think it. Her face just seems so much more engaging to watch when she's in happy mode, you know, than it is when she's in depressed mode, you know, because it just doesn't engage right. I don't know why. She doesn't seem to be able to put it 
forth to where you really feel what she's thinking. I felt what you're what you're expressing, and I and I got I, I've been getting that all along. The fact the last time I really felt that though was in Runaway Bride with Richard Gere, and that was what year? Nine, uh, late 90s, I want to say. Is it late 90s? 99, yeah. yeah. Well, as we listen to the phone, Phil, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, uh, she had that, 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 that very kind of uh, serenely flirtatious vibe with Richard Gere, and I had a, a pretty good time with that film. But I have been getting from her uh, kind of almost in a between-the-line sense, but I, I, th- I see it in her face and her eyes, particularly since she's gotten older. I think anyone who was... Uh, been around into their 40s understands there the, the, that people are going to disappoint you and that things are not quite as rosy and bowl of cherries as you maybe thought when you were younger and so there's and there's some people uh, kind of uh, accept the way uh, people are imperfect and frustrating and they don't they let you down with kind of a resignation and I'm sorry but I'm gonna you know be a good person myself or they get testy or they get resentful you know and I think she's kind of testy and resentful. That's what I've been getting from her for quite, quite some years. Are we still talking about Julia Roberts? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not on the same page as you guys here. I mean, I liked her performances in both the Mike Nichols th- uh, things she did recently, Closer and Charlie Wilson's War. I thought he got some, you know, good notes out of her. Mm-hmm. Stuff that we hadn't seen before. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Closer. Um, I love that so. play, and I thought it was a pretty good film. I didn't have too many problems with it. It's okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know, though. I don't know about if she can, you know, maybe that is a series she can go. But I agree with you, Jeff. Somebody told me, were we talking about this on the podcast before, that she's like a notorious bitch in real life and that she's actually kind of mean? She can be tough. Someone I mean, said that about her. I don't remember who it was, but someone said that's the secret about Julia Roberts is that she's actually really mean. <laughs> it's hard to imagine it, though. She seems so nice. Um, uh, no one to, to mess with. I've been uh, sensing for many, many years, going back to my Entertainment Weekly and LA Times days in the, in the 90s. That was the vibe I understood all along. You know, she will lay into you if you don't say it right. So watch it. You know. Really? Did she ever lay into you? No. no. She never did? No. Wow, interesting. She's a pro. She's not an uncontrolled person. She understands how to play it. You know, she's not an unruly person. But she, if she gets, you know gets angry about something you're gonna know it in a very very strong way so. right like lyle lovett says in that one song look out mister here comes a cup and a saucer <laughs> <laughs> that's funny what's that song called? that's from i think it's from one-eyed fiona which he wrote about her mm. um mm. Yeah. i think it's from that song it's, it's off that album where all of the songs are about her Right. And that yeah. one in particular, it struck me as funny. I thought, hmm, Julia Roberts, really? Throwing a cup in a saucer? Well, I guess so. Yeah. So So what happened last weekend, Phil, just to review, because we didn't uh, do it on Sundays. Why is it you can't do a Sunday anymore? That, that seems like the time to do, do these things. It's nice and quiet on Sunday, but you're all caught up doing your, your reports. I understand that. But when do you get Yeah, to it's, it's just way too hectic. I mean, if we wanted to do it maybe in the afternoon and, and set a time, but just Monday, I, it seems like it works better. You know, yeah. try to do it in the morning or, or something. Yeah. I mean, I don't want I don't want to mean difficult or anything. No, um, no, I understand. Yeah. But um, it, yeah, it's just it's chaos. It's literally my head's going in a million directions at once yeah. because I have all kinds of you know, just outside media requests. Everybody's trying to right. get reactions about the numbers and everything, mm. and I don't mm. feel like I'm I'm centered enough. You know, well, I'm fine. That. 
It's fine for me to do it either way. And I really am liking to see how you're doing so well, Phil. I, I like watching your career mm. kind of take off as it's been, I think, in the last few months, it seems like, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's popping, that's for sure. I mean, yeah. we're getting a lot of traction. Uh, you know, Wall Street Journal, The Times, um, CNN, MTV, they all come to me regularly. for. That's good. Books. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. Right. That's great. Yeah, and you guys help, for sure. This is yeah. uh, it's been a big thing for me. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I appreciate it. But um, yeah, last weekend, um, cars, I mean, everybody's making a big deal about this, how, you know, the critics bashed it. You know, audiences probably aren't as crazy about this one as they were about the first one. But it's kind of missing the point that, and Disney's pretty open about this. They, they, they made this movie because it, it sells a lot of toys. So mm -hmm. let's not miss that point. Um, they have a billion-dollar merchandising franchise, and they're going to continue to have a billion-dollar merchandising franchise now that the movies have. So that's it. You know, and it's going to do well internationally. So I, I, it's one of those situations where I just want to, you know, put my fist through the wall and talk about how Cars 2 is bombing because American critics hate it, and it's not going to do that well in America. Well, that's only part of the story, my friend. Yeah. America, not the world. You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so... So the uh, the the judgment that you were giving me yesterday is that the word of mouth uh, on on Cameron Diaz's uh, film A Bad Teacher was toxic, and I think that uh, that's that's pretty true when you have a Cinema Score grade of was it C plus or C anything is very bad from Cinema Score. That means they're always I think they always err on the side of politeness when people ask them, so that when they say C, they really mean D or or maybe even failing. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, that means there's a lot of F's mixed in there because I do think it is, uh, you know, it's still in some ways a polarizing movie. Um, I went to see it with an actual audience. Half of them really got it. They were they were going with it. And then the rest were trudging out. So that means, you know, you have uh, more people than you want are walking out out of that movie and just saying F, you know, without even hesitating because they just don't get it. Um, mm. And there's not much there to get. I chuckled maybe two or three times. Did you, you see know? it, Sasha? Mm mm. Wait, what are we talking about? I'm sorry. Bad teacher. No, no, I didn't. I, do I have to see it, Jeff? Now that I've read what you had to write about it. <laughs> you scared me. I, I think it's a pretty rough thing to sit through. I really do. I know, so I think I'll just skip it. Huh. So doesn't doesn't Emma ever come to you and say, "I really want to see something. You want to go uh, that you have no particular interest, but you just go obligingly, grudgingly?" Because Super Eight was it. the last one. Yeah, Super huh. Eight, and. You know, every once in a while, yeah, some there will be some intolerable film that she'll want to see that I'll have to sit through. Right. But um, but usually she'll just go with whatever I say to go to go see. Uh -huh. you know, she trusts my judgment. Last night, uh, early uh, in the evening, I should say, uh, about 5 p.m., uh, I was invited to have a Japanese dinner with uh, Ludivine Sanyer, who's uh, in these two films at the L.A. Film Festival, the first being... Uh, the Devil's Double, uh, and the second being uh, Love Crimes, which is a kind of a, a corporate thriller about murder and whatnot uh, between, in competition between two strong women executives played by herself and Kristen Scott Thomas. And she announced, I asked her, I heard this, and I asked her at the Q&A, uh, I understand that Brian De Palma has bought the rights to this and is going to remake it, and she said, yes, that's true. So we're going to see uh, that down the road. Um, I, I personally don't do not look forward to Brian De Palma movies the way I used to because um, I think his uh, 
I don't. I just don't think he's as interesting as he was in the beginning of his career. Mm-hmm. However, it will be seen here, and it's a pretty good film uh, for what it is. It's one of those, you know, um, um, kind of about a sociopath uh, making, uh, twisting the law and manipulating things so that she gets away with murder, which is kind of fun. So. Wow, that's definitely right up my alley for sure. Yeah. Um. So she and she's really beautiful. I've loved her ever since I saw her in swimming pools. She's been acting since she was ten years old. Um, she uh, posed for some beautiful photos that I took. We took a group shot with uh, uh, her and uh, and and Pete Hammond and Bob Strauss and all these people at the dinner. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Wow, so, that's great. And then we and then we went over to see Guillermo del Toro's. Uh, I shouldn't say his. He's the producer and the co-creator called uh, uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, which is a remake of a 70s film with the same title. Mm. And, is that any good? Uh, well, it, let's, let's, let's put it in context. Uh, Guillermo uh, produced a masterful horror film that had very little in the way of gore. It was just all about impl- implication and insinuation and, and imagination, and that was called The Orphanage. Did anybody see that? Mm. Yeah, no. I, th- I think I did see it, actually, but... A long time ago. Um, it was in 07. That was like four years ago. Yeah. Well, that had in internet years. Yeah. Did you see it, Phil? <laughs> no, I didn't. I missed that. Well, this is, it has a sequence that is, uh, illustrates what you need to make to get really uh, under people's skin and make them get, creep them out. And there's a little game that, you, that this character plays, that the little girl plays at the beginning, where there, her friends are... Uh, kind of approaching her, and what she does, she counts to ten and then turns around. When she finishes counting, they have to stop moving. You know, it's like, it's kind of like Simon says, but you you can only move when when she's counting, but you have to stop moving, you know, when she turns around. So that very sequence, play kicks in in the third act, in which these kids who are ghosts, who are not alive, she starts counting off and playing the game, and she turns around and looks at a room and sees nothing. And then she goes back and counts again and, and then turns around and sees nothing. She does it a third time, turns around, oh, she God. sees two little kids on the other side of the room. Oh. <laughs> it's really, really, and the camera never cuts. It just goes, goes back to her, she counts off, goes back to the room, and then every time you go, the camera whips back to the room. The, there are more kids in the room and they're getting closer and closer every time. She, it is oh, the creepiest thing I've ever seen, oh. and there's not one special effect, and it's just perfect, you know, what the way it plays. So that made me think that uh, Juan Antonio Bayona, who's the director, Spanish director, who uh, Guillermo knows. And, uh, so that's something I, I can't wait for his next film, by the way, which is uh, about the, um, the tsunami with uh, Naomi Watts, I believe. Mm. Do you know what I'm speaking of? Mm-mm. No. About that. which tsunami? The tsunami, the one in, uh, you know. Thailand. Yeah, Thailand, yeah. Oh wow! So, so they're actually going in and making a like a what like a Titanic kind of movie about it, like all these different interconnected stories as the tsunami hits, or what? Yes, it's going to be an Irwin Allen film in which various characters go through life changes <laughs> and but they really love each other. Irwin. That tsunami that sure cleared things up for me. Now I realize. <laughs> well, don't you think it's going to be about that? <laughs> got to make we got to give our marriage another shot. You know, before the tsunami, I didn't think so, but now I do. You know, that really. <laughs> <laughs> it really puts things into perspective. Take the wrong week to oh. quit off and glue. <laughs> right. It just cuts through the, all the BS, and you realize what really matters in life. And 
Anyway, so the... <laughs> no, but come on. So what's it really about? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I haven't read, I don't know. I haven't read the script or anything. Oh, okay. It's called okay. The Impossible. I finally saw it. I, I put it in the major league because I think he is a major league director. And I don't know what it is, honestly. I just know that it's, you know, it's about some people <laughs> that are vacationing and somewhere in Thailand and they get uh, caught up in it. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm just thinking about what you said about we're going to give our marriage another shot. <laughs> That's what people do in those 70s Irwin and Allen movies. They, they realize, you know. Unless they're Shelley Winters and then they, they take, take one <laughs> they for die, the team. Yeah. <laughs> no. So what about Warm Beatty? I guess we might as well go there now, right? Since... Sure, yeah. Well, it's the, the thing that throws me... Um, is that this film that he is finally doing after not doing anything since 1998, I believe it was, which is it was called Town and Country. Mm. He took the blame for it because, <coughs> excuse me, it didn't work uh, as well as it could financially, and uh, he was seen as the guy who was um, kind of, you know, responsible for the long delays. And, and of course, he's countered that by saying it's not not true and he you know had a lot dumped in his lap and there were some rewrites anyway the long and the short is that he's that was the last thing he did and he doesn't want to go out on that note so this is his chance to uh, to sort of rectify and set things straight and uh it's going to be according to what i read i believe in nikki fink's column michael fleming wrote it um actually start shooting a film about howard hughes the old howard hughes played by Beatty. And the thing that threw me is that it, they said the word comedy, which mm. I didn't know it was. And I know that Bo Goldman, the screenwriter of many uh, uh, respected films, uh, Shoot the Moon was one of his, I believe. Um, he wrote the script screenplay eons ago. We're talking the 80s, mid-80s. Mm. And um, so that's it's supposed to happen uh, at the end of the year, and it's not supposed to be something that's going to take three or four years. It's not going to be read. It's supposed to be like, do it, shoot it, get it out, and we'll have it out in 2012. So that's good. It's strange, though. How can they say comedy? I mean, what? That's, that's funny. I don't know. What is funny about Howard Hughes? Are they just going to make him like, I mean, he's a, tra he's a tragedy, as far as I know, everything about his life. What, what's the funny part? He became a recluse and a germaphobe. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, he had his, uh, as we all know from watching the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, from reading histories, he had a great, uh, brave, um, uh, historically, you know, uh, high impact period of his life from the 20s to the 40s, 50s, you know, as a film producer. And as no, but I mean, why is that funny? What's funny about it? Although I will say that. I imagine, I don't know. Most of the time with Warren Beatty, even with his serious roles, he. His character is almost always funny. Like in McCabe and Mrs. Miller, he's funny. Shampoo, yeah. he's funny. Bonnie and Clyde, he's funny. Right. You know, he brings that to it anyway. Mm -hmm. He doesn't mm -hmm. ever play like a deadly serious person. He's always playing a person who's a little bit deluded about himself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good um, way of putting it. And I love that about him, and I, I hope that that's what he means when he says comedy, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, I can't repeat the anecdote that I told you, but I, I know that there's... Uh, there's, um, you know, Shia LaBeouf and uh, Andrew Garfield are, gonna, are up to play his assistant. There's uh, a relationship with a much younger woman who may be played by... Evan Rachel Wood is yeah, one. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And then yeah. one other. There was another yeah. one being Rudy tossed Mara, around. I think. The... Rudy Mara, yeah. that's right. Rudy yeah. Mara, yeah. yeah. Yeah, either would be okay. My choice would be Carrie Mulligan for it. Okay. Um, Oh, incidentally, uh, at the party last night, I was speaking to Guillermo at the, in the after party, and he was telling me how, um, how um, 
Alfonso Cuaron, the director of Children of Men, and and uh, Emmanuel Lebeski uh, are working on something right now as we speak. It's going to be another sort of cinematic envelope pushing thing that's going to mm. be really thrilling to, to see, I'm told. And I was also told I can get a copy of the script, and here I am speaking about it with you guys, and I'm blanking on the title of it. But those two doing something that will kind of uh, push film language, that's what I understand is what they're up to, that is really thrilling to me. I, so I can't absolutely. wait. Absolutely, yeah. Well, when do you think you'll know? The name of the film? Well, yeah, or get the script and know what it's about or any of that. A uh, matter of hours, I was told. Oh, great. That's I definitely great. Definitely have it. So. And um, see, I'm just looking at Gravity. There we go. Currently filming as we speak, Gravity. And uh, Lubeski, who ins also shot that uh, award-winning Nike commercial with uh, Inuritu uh, that just won the award in Cannes for the, you know, ad award thing. Uh, oh, my God, I didn't realize this. Gravity has George Clooney and Sandra Bullock in it. I didn't know it was a movie star thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Storyline, the lone survivor of a space mission to repair the Hubble telescope desperately tries to return to Earth and reunite with her daughter. So that's say that's Sandra Bullock. So that's what they're doing. It's a space movie. And, and that's three D, I believe. Yeah. Uh yep. Yep. So whose good. daughter I'd like to see what those guys will do in three D. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Whose daughter is he trying to connect with? She is trying to connect with her daughter. Apparently she is the lone survivor of a space mission to repair the Hubble telescope. That's what it says here. Oh, interesting. And what about George Clooney? Who's he in it? He's probably mission control or something. Or a guy who died or something. You mean she comes back to Earth and there's nobody there? I... Let me read it again. The lone survivor of a spaceship to repair. She has come back, so she is trying to... Re no, it, it says she... The, the plot is she desperately tries to return to Earth so she can... Oh, I see. Know, so she's the only one who survives the mission, but there's still obviously everybody else on Earth. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, so it's going to be a 3D uh, weightless movie in orbit around the Earth, something like that. So. With Sandra Bullock? Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Wow. Yep. I'm looking very much forward to both of those George Clooney movies, uh, which you said before. I look very much forward to The Descendants, which I've read and I'm really a big fan of. And I can't wait also for the uh, political movie in which you basically, it's, you know, you know uh, called uh, The Ides of March. So they're both mm -hmm. going to be uh, mm -hmm. superb. Uh, are you thinking by any chance of going to Toronto? Me? Sa Sasha? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I loved, would love to go to Toronto, although the problem with it is that it always falls right on the first few few days of school when school starts for Emma so it's always like okay welcome to seventh grade I'm going off to Toronto you know, she doesn't have anybody else to sort of help her through those first few days you know and um so it's until she graduates I don't I mean maybe when she's in high school it won't be such a big deal but I like to be there for her when she starts you know sorry to always have to pull the single mom card but it's true it's just the fact mm. of my life and so you know I I wish I'd gone to Toronto last year because I probably yep, could have... It's, it's a big deal to go into seventh grade. I remember that. It's a horrible... Seventh grade was like the worst period of time for me, and I didn't have parents helping me through. And I think if I did, I'd probably have done much better in school, you know, to have that kind of support of mm -hmm. someone to make your lunch and drive you there and say, okay, this is what you do. This is where you go, you know. We didn't have any of that. It was just like, okay, we get on the bus and we go and fend for ourselves, you know, but... 
Um, so that's a lot more important to me, obviously, than seeing what's going to win the best picture, especially since whatever wins the best picture generally is so anticlimactic anyway. But I guess if I had been there last year, I would have seen how the crowds responded to the King's speech, and I would have had a better idea of its power than I did, you know? Because I saw it at a screening, and I just was not impressed at all, um, where I heard that, that in Toronto, everybody just went nuts for it, you know? So So I remember, uh, yeah, yeah, I was saying, uh, I, I certainly relate to the to the challenge and the trauma of becoming a high schooler or a seventh grade. Is it a new school, I presume? Um, no, she'll be going back to her old school for eighth grade, yeah. It's just she doesn't have anybody here. You know, I don't have another person here to take her to school, so. Well, when do you, I mean, um, just to ask in an even-toned way, I used to just go to school on buses. I mean, you know, parents didn't take me to school. I just, I, I used to walk when I was a kid. What's, what's the, you know... I know, but I mean, I go out of town and I leave her here, you know, with with who? I mean, I maybe with with the with her cousin's family, and they can take her to the first days of school, you know. And I could probably mm -hmm. swing that. Yeah. If I really felt like I had to be there, you know. But where I, are her cousins? Li where do they live in the valley somewhere? Um. Does she have cousins? In the, yeah, they live in the valley. Here? I mean, as far as I know, I can't until I figure out a way to make my site more friendly for huge crowds of people. Mm-hmm. Because um, it always shuts down during the busy times of the year. It's like, I mean, I don't feel like I have to go to Toronto for any reason because all the movies that play there that do well at Oscar come here and, and I can screen them here. And I hear about the plenty of buzz. Everybody goes to Toronto, so it's not Oh, like, sure. Yeah, yeah. And I trust what people say there. You know, it's not mm -hmm. like I have to go. I don't feel a pressing need. But if I ever do, I will go to it. Yeah, it's nowhere near the expensive thing that Canada is, for instance. Right, right. No, it's not. And... Um, mm. So, I, uh, um, uh, you know, when I think of seventh grade and sixth grade, <laughs> in fact, all my youth, I think of nothing but, you know, anxiety, torture. Me too. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I just felt, you know, when, if, if all of life were on that level of discomfort and who am I and how am I going to handle this, this is really, you know, the only comfort I knew was with my, uh, friends you know on bikes and things like that you know and, yeah. and but it was just miserable i didn't really find comfort until i found the drama club and then it was like i i had a bunch of freaks to hang out with and i like that okay in high school but mm -hmm. every time i think of high school and middle school i i do i get i feel that anxiety return like the anxiety of not having my homework done of not you know taking mm -hmm. pre yeah. being well prepared for tests waking up early in the morning and having to get dressed and then like you're judged and you judge other people the way they dress and the way they look and you know I just it is it's a hotbed mm -hmm. of anxiety <laughs> yeah she my daughter doesn't seem to see it that way though it's weird like she she really likes school and she feels very confident with her friends like it's just not as bad for her and mm -hmm. I, I had warned her I said oh god seventh grade is the worst if you can make it through seventh grade you're gonna do fine yeah but she says it's it's um it's been fine for her like she likes it so mm -hmm. Go figure. Maybe it's just us, Jeff. Maybe we're just weird. <laughs> I think that people that have a that are, don't really flower until they get out a little bit older are tend to be the ones that have more interesting and uh, rewarding and productive lives. I think that it's 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 a curse to to have the peak of your life in high school or junior mm. high school. Oh it's, sure. It's, I mean, it's something that haunts you. You know, boy, I was really happy when I was seventeen. <laughs> Yeah. I have a funny. No, that's true. I agree. Yeah, 100. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm a proud to say I was a late bloomer. 
Yeah. yeah. How was your high school experience, Phil? Did you hate it or did you like it? Or your middle uh, school? The tail end of it, I was fine with, um, you know, because you start, you know, whatever. You just, after I got accepted to college, I just relaxed and, you know, had fun and, and made more friends and everything like that. But the middle chunk of it sucked. Like, mm. you know, junior year, sophomore year, absolutely <laughs> terrible. You know, just oh. awkward with braces and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get a girl to talk to me if I tried, and then you know, oh. I came into my own. And I, I wouldn't trade those years for anything, though, because they—I think they make you a better person, suffering a little bit, you know, through awkwardness. Um, yeah. Because people who are just, you know, popular the whole time, have friends all through middle school, all through high school, mm -hmm. everything into them. They—they they expect that in the real world. Though. Oh, tell me about. Mm -hmm. That's when they have problems, you know. Yeah. Which I know. What Jeff was saying, basically, that their lives can never live up to what they had before mm -hmm. uh, yeah unless they change significantly you know unless their life becomes something totally different than it was mm -hmm. like for instance um sandra bullock was very popular in high school and so was blake lively both of those girls were <laughs> <laughs> popular cheerleaders you know doing quite that doesn't mean that they didn't feel awkward and horrible it just means that they were quote-unquote popular you know but you know, for whatever, I don't know why I didn't, <clears throat> but I happened to have, I had a pretty good impression of her, and she played the uh, kind of the floozy um, kind of drug issue woman in uh, in in the Ben Affleck uh, bank robbing movie, which was called, the not town. Gone Baby Con, but, uh, you know. The Town. The Town. I thought she was pretty good in that. Uh, and I was saying, well, she's that was good. That was a good score for her. But I'll tell you, I listened to her on... Jay Leno when she was doing uh, press for Green Lantern, and I um, I didn't think she has that great a voice. I don't think she has a lot of there's something about her voice that's common that doesn't have a lot of intrigue. There's like you know the, those kind of kind of those sassy kind of snappy voices. You, you hear the voice and immediately you, this woman has had some living and she's got uh, some attitude and some perspective. And she can tell a good story, and she laughs at herself, you know. That, but I didn't feel that she had that quality in her voice that was in, interesting to me. Yeah, Fun I think kind of based on a, a Leno uh, promoting Green Lantern, she was probably, you know, trudging her way through all of that. I mean, look at the look at that movie. <laughs> you know, how can mm. you be sincere or enthusiastic going on TV to promote that movie? So <laughs> I wouldn't rush it on that. You know? I didn't think of her as a. Uh, it wasn't what she had to say or what she failed to say. Oh, brother. This is the third call I haven't taken. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to call these folks back. And, Who are they? Uh, it's probably about the Michael Bay thing. So I'll... Um, I you mean the Drew McWeeny thing you wrote or the, the letter, yes. the deadline letter, right? The letter, which is just a simple little typo, no big deal. But I just thought, well, could he have meant six? That didn't make any sense. Six foot Lamberts. It's just a technical matter. Nobody... Ninety-nine point, you know, ninety-nine percent people don't give a damn about it, but it it is a thing that I know something about. So I just thought I'd ask, and I I, I probably have to address it pretty soon. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So who's calling you? Like the studio, the publicists, all those guys, all mad? Yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah. Okay, okay. No, not mad. I just said that it doesn't seem to be correct, and nobody will call me back. So that's all I said. So are your readers kind of upset that Drew got an all-expense-paid trip to Moscow to, to see that movie, would you say? I th think it's great that he went to Moscow. But, but uh, do, do they? Uh, why would they be upset? I don't know. I'm just wondering. Do they? Oh. 
<laughs> uh, no. <laughs> uh, do you anticipate that you'll go to Moscow someday? <laughs> I'll never get invited on a, to a screening <clears throat> in Moscow with an all-paid expense trip to Moscow. But I'm not him. I mean, if I were somebody wanting, okay, you know, a guy like that, we're really well connected. I'd pay for him to go, probably. You know, okay. If I were on the publicity side, wouldn't you? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I'm afraid I have somebody at the front door. Can you just hang <laughs> a second, please? I'll be right back. Hang on. <laughs> Into the, the uh, Oscar poker options. <laughs> Into the world of Jeff Wells. I, I was just interviewed um, by a journalist who was asking me questions about Jeff. Are you serious? Really? For what are yeah. they doing? For just some newspaper, I guess. They're just asking me, like, you know, what kind of blogger he is and, you know, what oh, his wow. influence is. Oh, wow. I'm dying to get that call. <laughs> I know. Well, you might. You very well might. You know, I gotta, I better go. All right, okay. Jeff. We're at the off mark anyway, I think. Because I, I mean, yeah. I can't, uh, there's too much pressing, and I have to be down at the scooter rally by, uh, in three and a half hours. <laughs> And I've okay. got like four stories right. It's one of those days. So. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear about your scooter <laughs> extravaganza. Okay. <laughs> I hope I get decent video out, out, out of all the trouble. So. I do too. I do too. And all it is is just video of people buzzing down the street. So what's that going to be? Oh, it's going to be great. Are you going to iPhone video it or with your regular camera? Regular camera. And I'm going to put it into the server. And Jet is going to edit it into something decent looking from New York and then send it back. Great. Wonderful. Sounds good, guys. Well, it was nice talking to you. Okay, you too. Okay. All right, bye. Bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com, and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. You can find us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast. Today's music was by... Things Ain't Like They Used To Be by The Black Keys and Fire It Up by Modest Mouse. Thanks for listening. Fire it up, fire it up When we finally turn it over Make a beeline towards the boulder Have a drink, you've had enough Fire it up, fire it up If you need some conversation Bring a magazine to read Just long enough to leave our clothes there Fine enough, fine enough Oh, we ain't all of the oranges Off the navels of our lovers Grabbed a book and read the cover It honestly was beautifully done Like
Fire it up, fire it up. 